Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is your 144th video cast, 134th podcast for the week ending July 21st, 2022. Uh, we will try to make this a quick one. I know I say that every week, but uh, I think we've got a lot of good stuff to cover, but we'll get to it quickly. So to start with, I uh, quickly want to do the media. I want to thank Rochelle Akufo, Shauna Smith, Dave Briggs, Taylor Clothier and Jeff Cohen for having me on Yahoo Finance last Friday. We'll cover that in the article of the week. I uh, want to thank uh, Phil Yin and Dalal Pektas for having me on CGTN America on Monday to discuss bank earnings. We'll get into that. Also want to thank Ruth Carson for having me uh, in her Bloomberg article last week regarding the U.S. dollar. Uh, Menaz Yasmin and David Henry for having me in their Reuters article last week regarding uh, Citibank and the turnaround plan, and Zoltan Saranyi, AJ Fabino, and Mitch Hawk for having me in their Benzinga article, uh, which you can find there. So the theme of this week to start off, uh, growth, stark, growth stocks are worth buying when prices are reasonable. This is from Ben Graham, the legend that taught... Warren Buffett. So we'll get into that. And we're going to do a quick aside. A lot of you have been asking me about my golf game lately. Um, and I, I think it's interesting because when we did this article, if you haven't watched this, uh, Chris Chandler, Legatum CIO and partner Phil Vasiliou, I interviewed their CIO uh, a couple weeks back. And this, these brothers turned $10 million into $5 billion in 20 years. And one of the things that they talked about in the article in the Institutional Investor called Secrets of Sovereign, which you can find that article link right in the show notes uh, on the interview here on the Hedge Fund Tips YouTube channel, um, is that when some of the positions were going against them and they were waiting for the positions to work out, um, Chris Chandler, I think, was more of a sailor and an adventurer type of guy. But his brother Richard took up golf because the most profitable thing he could do while he was waiting for his big positions to turn and ultimately become 5X plus uh, was to pass time and not do anything and not get swayed by the day-to-day opinions and to know that his research was done and know that these things were going to play out, which is a perfect uh, metaphor for what, uh, what has been taking place this summer as we're seeing... Uh, Alibaba and Chinese stocks have bottomed in March uh, and and are up quite a bit and are obviously in fits and starts with the lockdowns, but the bottom, we believe, is uh, strongly in. Uh, And then biotech bottomed meaningfully in May and are now up some 40%, and we think this is just the beginning for both trends. So so we've been golfing, and as a matter of fact, we got a young young guy is playing, I guess, D1 golf at USC. Uh, he emailed me. He says he's an avid listener of the podcast if I ever want to play. So we'll see when he comes to town and maybe he can teach me a few things. I'll teach him about the market and he'll teach me about golf. But for those of you who've been asking about my golf swing, I guess it's summer. Everyone's interested. Um, you, know, I'm, it, 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 you know, I'm on the other side of the trade. I've not played for 20-something years. I came back this year. I've been playing now for 10 weeks, making great progress. And um, I started with something our... Head Pro teaches something called stack and tilt, which is a controversial ver- uh, um, golf swing because it went against convention about 10, 15 years ago. But when you study all the greatest hitters of all time, 
they all either did stack and tilt before it was called stack and tilt. It's from the uh, age-old book from the 60s called The Golf Machine, and then there were different iterations over time. Uh, first you had The Golf Machine, then you had uh, this guy, Bob Grissett, The Ten Lessons, The True Fundamentals of the Golf Swing, which my pro actually gave me his. Uh, this is like the magic potion formula that all pros have that they never give to their uh, students. Uh, so I'm very grateful for that, Gene. Um, uh, and then this book came out about 10 years ago called uh, Stack and Tilt by uh, Mike Bennett and Andy Plummer. And our pro at, uh, at the course is good friends with Mike and Andy, so he's been doing it forever. And I started with Stack and Tilt. I got a lesson and, uh, you know, I... The next Wednesday uh, when I went out uh, at the course, I, I, it was like a murder scene. It was, you know, and, and I had played good before that with my old swing or good enough. So it was really embarrassing. And I, and I quit stack and tilt and, um, and uh, on the basis of emotion. And what I realized was that, and, I, and actually my top client, who's a very good golfer, uh, uh, he explained that he used a modified stack until I was like, well, this is, you know, one of the smartest guys I know uh, in the world. I better take a, another look at this. And I did. Uh, and I went back to another lesson and it started to click. So, um, so this is the swing from this week. Uh, by the way, the new clubs came in after two months. So if Mizuno can deliver some blades from Japan to Connecticut, uh, uh, you know, the semiconductor companies are going to start delivering some chips uh, to the OEMs, and that's going to be good for CPS, and we'll talk about that as well. Uh, so this is from this week. I got a little launch monitor, and this is a range because our range was closed because it, it rained like five inches, and if they keep the range open, the balls all go into the mud, and they can't get them out. But um, So this is off by 20% the yardage because these yellow balls are not like real balls they're like dead range balls but i talked to the owner and he said yeah just add 20 percent so this was a four iron about 214 215 which is a little light but it's it's about what so this is this is what i switched to i i'd originally had an upright swing two plane swing with a lot of variables which a lot of amateurs use and i switched to this where the tilt is this aspect where you are tilted here, 30 degrees, straight arm, straight wrist, arm tucked in decently, back leg straight. This is what most people don't like about the stack and tilt, but even if you look at Rory McIlroy, who technically doesn't do stack and tilt, all the hitters, even if you look at Tiger, Tiger has a little more sway, but all the pros are doing this tilt with the front leg down, and it's more pronounced because I'm six foot five, uh, to get down there, head centered. And then if you, with this swing, you consistently hit push draws where you just bang it out and it comes in, push draws, and your divot obviously comes after the ball. So this is what it looks like after I stopped my emotional day trading of swings because it wasn't working for the first minute. And I decided to say, Okay, what have the best ball hitters done in time? If you, if you read this, Ben Hogan's Five Lessons, uh, you'll see that Ben Hogan was a stack and tilter. 
Uh, and you can Google YouTube videos and it shows this exact swing from one of the greatest ball strikers of all time. So look, one size doesn't fit all, okay? But for me, I like something systematic with less variables. And when I'm not playing well, uh, I can uh, analyze it against the system. It's the same with investing in stocks is once you've done the research and you know that it's proven and your methodology is proven and your analysis is proven and all the, you know, most successful people in your style have done it the way that you do. As a matter of fact, uh, Carter uh, was telling me, you know, he was studying um, all of these. He, he basically went through the Forbes 400 and saw all the people that made their fortunes in hedge funds. And he said everything that they said that they did and how they thought about things and how deeply contrarian they were and how they valued companies and how they were patient and how things were went against them before they went for for them and made them multi-billionaires is exactly what you've been teaching since i've been listening to your podcast and video cast and working for you um and that that was a big compliment but you know he pointed to dave tepper he pointed to carl icon he pointed to charlie munger he pointed to uh you know stanley Druckenmiller, all the greats and the the principles that the swing is not exactly perfectly the same Okay, but there are common characteristics. Even if you're not a stack and tilter, if you are a ball striker, that back arm is straight. You have this side tilt. Your head is centered and down, etc., etc., etc. And if you look at most of the great ball strikers, they they play a push draw. Uh, you know, which means the ball comes out and draws in a little bit, uh, and obviously the divot comes after. But this was out of range, so. Uh, that was that. And then on Thursday, uh, with the new driver finally, uh, not Thursday, yesterday, this was my drive on a par 4, 320. Uh, so just short of the green, albeit it was a short par 4. Uh, and uh, just so you can feel better that I'm not bragging, I uh, did not make birdie on this hole, which is an embarrassment. But, uh, you know, it's part of the process. But again, uh, you continue to refine, you continue to practice the principles that are proven, And I share this analogy because uh, I'm going through in rebuilding my or in building my golf game from scratch, per se, uh, the same thing that you many of you are going through in the investment process. Like you want it to progress so fast and so quickly that rather than looking for proven, focused, measurable principles that work over and over and over throughout history you know this stack and tilt is is quote unquote revolutionary and brand new 10 years ago and controversial but ben hogan was using it 50 years ago uh the golf machine was written in uh 1962 mac o'grady was using it in the 80s uh there's a reason is because principles are universal uh bob grissett the 10 Uh, lessons of uh, true fundamentals of the golf swing. So anyway, the point is that find what is proven to get the success that you're looking for. Have a style that works for you. If you modify it a little bit based on fundamentals, you're going to get the result. Look, Tepper's not the exact same as Icon. Icon is not the exact same as Buffett. Buffett is not the same thing as Stan Druckenmiller. But there were all underlying principles which Carter so aptly defined Uh, that ran through all of them uh, that, you know, are universal. Uh, and it's the same with golf and it's the same with any undertaking. So I think that's a good context to start today's call and uh, hope you found that helpful.
Now, uh, let's move on to some of the shorter term indicators. I thought this note from MarketWatch, uh, who did this? Uh, Steve Goldstein um, captured a note from Bespoke Investment Group. They're a good group of guys over there. Uh, I've known them, gosh, when I was at my first hedge fund, they came uh, selling their research and uh, uh, we bought it, of course, which was a smart move. So um, our call of the day, they're quantitative uh, analysts, uh, studies the link between corporate bond and stock markets. Spreads in both investment grade and riskier high yield bonds have narrowed rapidly over the past three weeks. This is key for a lot of things. Number one, for the equity markets is the most important indicator. But number two, uh, our third uh, largest investment in size, uh, largest in terms of risk and to reward, uh, you know, depends on these credit markets thawing. Uh, over the next six months. And we believe that's going to happen. All it takes is a run up in the equity market, which we think is, is starting to be, uh, begin here. And we'll, we'll talk about that more. But analysts at Bespoke Investment Group say the history of such spread compression, uh, though it isn't a long series since the popular credit default swap indices were only invented in this century. Uh, but it's, you know, it's over 20 some odd years. And what they said was when they narrow this quickly, they're down 70, the spreads are down 75 basis points in three weeks. Actually, in the last 12 years, on average, you're looking at um, the S&P up 22% a year later, which is also consistent with what we were talking about when the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index got below 58 the last three times since 1980. The average returns were 20.87 over the next 12 months. So a lot of things pointing to the same results, but credit spreads are critical for everything we want to do uh, and be focused on. So I thought that was a great article. This is from Jason Gopert over at Sentiment Trader. He says, in modern markets, the S&P has never lost ground over the following year when advancing volume was 87% or more of total volume for two out of three days coming off a 52-week low. Um, so, you know, he's saying that on that basis, the bear market's over. Again, we, we always say uh, we don't deal in absolutes, we deal in probabilities. This is just one more arrow in the quiver for our bull case. Um, this is the 10-day put call average. Okay, Seth Golden says every single S&P bottom has been signaled by the five-day moving average of the equity put call ratio of 0.75 or greater since 2004. So he shows every single time that the five-day put call ratio was greater than 0.74 all the way back, and it was a short-term bottom and, uh, in many cases, long-term bottom. Uh, here I drew up the 10-day. So uh, just, just to be clear, um, he acknowledges that the, the indicator he's looking at uh, got above 85.85 in June. So his indicator is triggered. I look at the 10-day, and as you can see here, when it gets elevated like this, the 10-day average uh, put call ratio, this is above, uh, also got above 74. So not only did the five-day, but the 10-day got above that. Um, you see good things happen moving forward. Um, Okay, uh, next, uh, stock investors after brutal stretch have rarely been this pessimistic. So they point to positions in U.S. equity futures by asset managers and leveraged funds such as hedge funds as a percentage of open interest. Hasn't been this low since uh, the big correction in 2016. And uh, we know what happened next. You had a three-year run after that. Um, 
also net bullish option volume. So all those retail traders that were going bananas, they've all been completely flushed out. Uh, last time bullish volume was this low was the pandemic, just after the pandemic low in April, um, which is interesting. This is just after what may be the low last week. We'll find out. Uh, cash allocations among individual investors haven't been this low since the pandemic bottom, which is when you should have been a buyer, not a seller. I think it's a similar situation right now. They finally flushed everyone out. Moving along to China. Um, not sure why this logged me out. Wait, sign in. Okay. Um, if I... Someone asked me last week, why didn't it sound good? I was like, because I didn't want to use this computer because I have to re-log into 100 different websites because for some reason it always logs me out. But nonetheless, in the name of sound and pleasing my amazing audience, uh, I'm happy to log into 100 different websites every week to get good volume. All right, China Central Bank Governor pledges stronger support to the economy. Economy still faces certain downward pressure. Uh, downward pressures. Yi Gang says uh, rising COVID cases pose fresh risk to China's growth. So, you know, we said this in March and we said it in April and we said it in May. Uh, you know, the bottom is in, but you're going to have fits and starts. They're going to be shutdowns. They're going to be, you know, after effects, aftershocks, etc. Expect it, but they're going to keep putting gas in the tank. And that's exactly what they're doing. And that's what we like to see. Uh, Bernstein upgrades Alibaba to outperform. Um, so that's good. Opinion follows trend. Citigroup sees another 20% upside in Chinese stocks this year on spending stimulus. Uh, Hang Seng can deliver another 20% this year. They're obviously being conservative because they're still in the bunker. Wait until you see a big move in these stocks, the, the kind of upside they're going to be projecting. Uh, but now they have no choice. I mean, some of these stocks are up 40, 50, 60, 70%, even with the recent pullback, uh, and they're flat-footed. So expect to see more panic upgrades and more panic buying as we move forward. Uh, Taiwan Semiconductor's revenue increases 43.5 to 18.2 billion in Q2. This came out last week. The most important aspect of this, uh, revenue from I IoT and automobile sectors grew the fastest with a 14% quarter on quarter increase. Automobiles chips from the largest chip provider to automobiles uh, is a good sign, albeit it's up 14% year on year and the comps were low last year, but it shows us that the supply chain is loosening up uh, quickly. Uh, and as I said, if I can get, uh, uh, you know, uh, blade irons from Japan and the new driver uh, and wedges, uh, then, then uh, car semis are, are coming next, that's for sure. Uh, China instructs banks to open the credit taps for developers, so more aggressive stimulus. Uh, and easing. This is China adds liquidity for the first time since June as risks grow. They're going to do whatever it takes to get their economy back on track and attempt to reach their 5.5% uh, growth target, which uh, we'll, we'll see if they can do that or not. Chinese regulator defined Didi more than a billion dollar over security breaches. This is good news because part of the uh, crackdown and collapse of Chinese equities dealt with Didi. Uh, this is now resolved, so MOVE ends a year-long investigation and will free the firm to pursue a second listing in Hong Kong. So uh, this is really good news because that's one more nail in the coffin. The final nail, when this is all over, will be the day you wake up and they say Ant Financial files to go public with 
Chinese Communist Party's blessing, uh, and then uh, and then it's over, and then you'll see money just flow in like it's like nobody's business, and people will remember there's you know what is uh, three hundred billion dollar asset that you know what what is a trillion dollar business Ant Financial will become in the next five years. Alibaba shareholders own a third of, which is more than the total market cap right now. So, uh, you know, just on Ant Financial alone, this stock is a double. And on the uh, organic growth, uh, you know, we've always placed the near term fair value at, you know, 260 to 300. And we think over over time, it's a four or five hundred dollar stock. And uh, and the only solution to benefit from that is to uh, play golf and don't get distracted by the day to day headlines. Uh, China's top money manager adds Alibaba, Tencent, trims liquor stocks as fun beats market with portfolio tweaks. So I guess people coming out of COVID, they can stop drinking and start buying Baba, which is a good thing. Uh, Las Vegas Sand stock jumps as reopening hopes overshadow wider losses. I think this whole basket's a home run. We own these. Win Las Vegas, Melco, I think they're going to be monsters over the next three years, pent up demand. Maybe they'll shut down Macau next week again. Who the hell knows? But again, you know, buy quality when it's on sale. Go play golf. Uh, Macau Casinos to reopen Saturday after COVID. By the way, any of you guys that are really serious hitters, uh, if you see any flaw in my swing, I did send it to my pro. Uh, feel free to uh, put it in the comments below, like, and subscribe. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm into uh, constant and never-ending improvement here. I, you know, I was, I was really inspired by a friend of mine uh, who I play with, he runs banking for a large uh, uh, bank in New York, investment banking, and uh, he started golf three years ago. He's a six handicap, and he said that he dropped 18 strokes in one year when he bought this uh, GC4 uh, launch monitor, which like shows you where you hit it on the ball. It's like a simulator, so I'm going to get one uh, and just start to like measure every single swing and, and uh, just get it done. And it's the same thing, thing as investing. Universal pr principles, measure your progress, be patient, fits and starts, progress, steps forward, steps back, keep your head about you, realize you know, when you have a bad shot how amazing it is to be out in the beautiful uh, nature and sunshine and all of that stuff, uh, and then get back to focusing on the principles, the universal uh, paths, which uh, you know, we have a value tilt, the principles of Ben Graham, the principles of Warren Buffett, uh, some of the growth principles, uh, you know, we like Phil Fisher, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We've been through them over and over and over. Um, Peter Lynch, uh, Bill Miller, all the legends. There's a, there's a Lee Cooperman, the same universal principles, even if their styles are a little different, you know, you've got to have that tilt. You've got to have this head centered. You've got to have the straight arm back. You got to rotate the hips. You got to have follow through. And if you do all those things, you're going to get these beautiful, nice little crispy push draws all day long. Uh, all right. Macau Casinos to reopen Saturday. Good news. Boeing. Boeing's really interesting because as much of a, I'll say, I'll put it, as much of a shit show as it's been, uh, everyone's forgotten about it now. And now as the good news is, is coming out, no one's paying attention to it. And that's probably the best time to buy the stock. Um, you know, you can never count anything out with this management, but uh, it's still an oligopoly that's never changed. And even though they work 24-7 to try to screw it up, they failed because it's just such a good business. Uh, so Boeing sells some more Dreamliners. They sold a bunch more to an airline leasing company. So the orders are coming in. 
Uh, auto stocks are down. They could be great, a great recession recovery play. This is from Jacob Sunshine over at Barron's. Um, I, I'm more interested in the suppliers. Oh, here's the other order. Delta orders 100 Boeing Max 10 jets, and then I think Air Lease ordered a bunch. So let's get to the uh, article of the week so then we can catch up on some Ask Me Anything questions. Uh, some of these are two weeks old. I missed a few, but we're going to get to all of them today. Excited about that. Uh, Chris Stapleton starting over stock market and sentiment results. Last Thursday morning, we published our article, As Bad As It Gets, and so far that has proven to be true. Thursday marked, oh wow, look at the NASDAQ, up 1% today, that's exciting. Thursday marked the near-term lows. As I write this, the S&P is up almost 7%, trough to peak. I guess that's now 8%, I gotta double check that. And the NASDAQ is up almost 9%, maybe now 9.5%. Let me uh, double check. Anyway, it's up a lot since that article. So you can see here, this was yesterday afternoon. Uh, looks like there's mo some more juice today, at least in the NASDAQ. Uh, the, in 2021, country star Chris Stapleton won a CMA album of the year for, quote, starting over uh, the album and the song. We picked this theme for the article as the following lyrics may be pointing the way forward. And here are the lyrics. But nobody wins afraid of losing and the hard roads are the ones worth choosing. Someday we'll look back and smile and know it was worth every mile. And if you think about all the billionaires in the Forbes 400 that have made it through investing and through hedge funds, uh, that universal principle, they were every single one of them, the common denominator was they were buying something when it was out of favor and no one wanted it. Even John Paulson, if you read his book of the greatest trade ever when he bought the uh, credit default swaps on the mortgage, you know, he would go running in Central Park every day. So his golf was running, uh, you know, 10, 20 miles waiting for the trade to work. And then once he did, you know, he made $20 billion overnight. And uh, over the next 15 years through divorce and bad investments, he lost 15 of it, but he still got five. And, uh, you know, world's smallest violin he's managing to get along. So um, uh, this is just consistently the same thing across the board. Um, Dalio, you know, Ray Dalio, no one had really heard of Bridgewater before 2008. They took that big contrarian bet and they were right. And then the money just flowed in and they've just been a behemoth ever since. Um, uh, you know, uh, George Soros breaking the, the pound in the early 90s. Uh, Dave Tepper, always contrarian bets. Uh, Carl Icahn, always contrarian bets, buying assets when they're out of favor, buying Tropicana in 2008 when you know no one wanted casinos, buying uh, the energy stocks when they were out of favor, and then selling them recently. He's selling, it's interesting, he, he bought them. Uh, anyway, you know, so, the universal principles never change. Head, head down, centered, arm straight, tilt, rotate the hips, follow through, push draw, crispy all day long. So, um, in, okay. Now, if we look to the Bank of America Global Fund Set Manager survey from this week, we see that most managers are positioned, quote, afraid of losing and as such cannot win. So, um, the hard roads are stepping in at times like these when others are selling in the hole, which they certainly have been in recent weeks. We saw it with China stocks bottoming in March. We saw it with biotech bottoming in May. And we may now be seeing it with the general indices in July. So this shows the XBI up 40% off the lows in May. Uh, this is just beginning. BABA up 72%. It's pulled back a little bit. This, is, this hasn't even begun. 
we believe these trends are, are just beginning and the general indices may be next. As we frequently remind viewers on our weekly video cast, quote, amateurs deal in absolutes, professionals deal in probabilities. Right now, the probabilities suggest, but do not guarantee better days are ahead for the indices. Here are the key measures of sentiment we are looking at this week, as well as the, how the biggest managers are positioned. Uh, equity allocation versus cash, the lowest since October of 2008, uh, since lower than the pandemic lows. This is the lowest equity allocation since the GFC and the uh, pandemic. Bears will say that the S&P fell another 30% temporarily after the October 2008 lows. They are the same folks who were bearish from 2009 to 2014 and missed a monster bull market before the pullback in 15 and 16. Um, also, everyone now believes we're gonna have a recession. Look at the last two times recession consensus was this elevated and what the stock market did next. So the last time everyone was convinced we we're gonna have a recession was one month after the market bottomed in April of 2020. The market bottomed in March of 2020. The last time they were this uh, certain there was going to be a recession was March of 2009. The market had already bottomed March 9th of 2009. So basically, you want to be, when everyone's convinced there's going to be a recession, is when you want to be buying the equity markets. Everyone now believes we're going to have a recession. Look at the last two times consensus was this elevated and what the stock market did next. Here you go. Boom. Boom. By the time everyone believes there's going to be a recession, it's already in the rearview mirror, at least the discounting of the market. Here's the secret. They were all right. All of these people were right. We did have a recession in all of those instances, and we probably already had one. Q1 and Q2 negative GDP. I've been saying that for months. Here's the secret. They were right. We did have recessions in both instances, but the market is a discounting mechanism and priced it in ahead of time. The market rallied well before the recession was declared. That declaration could come as early as the end of this month when we see Q2 GDP. My guess is we'll have two negative quarters of negative GDP, which is a technical recession, and the National Bureau of Economic Research will not declare it a recession ahead of the election and because they'll say employment is too strong. But the recession that the yield curve predicted months ago uh, is probably already happened. Uh, that doesn't mean economic conditions can't get worse, but it does mean it's possible the market has already priced in that shallow recession that everyone's looking for. And if you look relative to previous recessions, uh, you know this was a, this was a once in a hundred year credit crisis. But this is a normal recession. This is a normal recession, etc. The other thing to be careful of is recency bias. Everyone thinks that because recent recessions have been so dramatic that the, ne the next recession is going to be dramatic, and it's just not the case. Historically, uh, prior to the last 20 years, recessions weren't as, uh, uh, always as pronounced as we've seen in recent years, and, uh, and I think there's reason to believe, having just had one two years ago, this one's going to be, or was, if, it, if we had it in Q1 and Q2, more mild. Um, Okay, now look at the positioning. The number one cash position among uh, about 300 managers managing $800 billion is cash. Uh, here's the last times that they've been that bearish and then that much cash was the exact wrong times. Did you want to be a buyer or seller in April of 2020? Uh, same thing in October of 2016. Same thing after the euro crisis. Same thing after the great financial crisis. Same thing after the tech wreck. 
So these are times you want to be buyers, not sellers. And it doesn't mean it can't go lower. There are no absolutes. There are probabilities. It just shows when, when positioning is, there are no sellers left is basically what it comes down to. Uh, equity allocations versus cash, the lowest since October of 2008. That was a real recession. That was a reason to be this pessimistic. Uh, you know, even if you're bearish and you think there's going to be a recession, I think most people are sensible enough based on corporate and consumer balance sheets to recognize it's not going to be a recession like, like, like 2008, where we, we came inches from going off the cliff uh, if the correct interventions weren't taken quickly enough. So uh, to see us worsen the pandemic when we had no vaccine and no antivirals and no clue as to what, this, what could happen moving forward is mind boggling to me. And this is just a function of behavioral science, recency bias, uh, and, and mistaken positioning in our view. Um, manager's largest positioning is cash, highest since the 9-11 terrorist attacks. All this money will be panicking back into the market as quickly as it panicked out once the tide turns. No one is positioned for any good news at present, whether geopolitical earnings or inflation. When something clicks, everyone will be waiting for the next shoe to drop and miss it, just as most missed, missed the pandemic lows in 2020 when we put out this note a couple of days before the low. And you can pull this note up on MarketWatch. Um, Sean Langlow has put it out. And we were showing how the market was overdone. The Dow was down. 35%, and even in 1918, it only went down 33%, uh, and, and we were buyers, and that was a, a perfect bottom call. Um, and, you know, you just have to, you know, study universals, study the basics. There's nothing new under the sun. This stuff, what works, has been working for a long time time you don't have to reinvent the wheel you can call it something else and pretend it's new but if you go back 50 60 years all the greats were doing the exact thing that's repackaged under a brand new name so on friday i joined shauna smith rochelle Kufo, david briggs on yahoo finance to discuss my stock market outlet thanks to taylor clothier jeff cohen shauna smith rochelle and dave for having me on here were my notes ahead of the show which uh, the university of michigan sentiment Consumer sentiment came in at 51.1. Uh, since 1980, the last three times it dropped below 58, it marked the lows in sentiment and the peak inflation. Average S&P gains 12 months later was 20.87. Other point I covered is that while the Fed is tightening, and we'll get 75 this month probably, um, <clears throat> um, in the background, they're being very accommodative in that they were supposed to do 47.5 trillion of quantitative tightening last month. They only did 7.5 trillion. I'm sorry, 47.5 billion. They only did 7.5 billion. And the reason is if you go to the beige book, they see there are signs of slowdown in demand. They have been successful at destroying demand, which was their objective, but they don't want to destroy the economy. And uh, that's why you have Waller coming out saying 75 bips is enough to get us to neutral. Uh, and that could be the end of it. It could potentially be the end of it if we get more, if we start to see those commodity prices at the cash register in coming months. Uh, maybe September gets paused or maybe one more and then it gets paused. But once that pivot happens, the, 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 uh, the bottom is, is for sure uh, in. Um, earnings continue to hold up. This is an important point, uh, which I shared with, I guess it was Presley, uh, who had questions about earnings takedown. And I said, would you rather sell 10 hamburgers at $10 or eight hamburgers at $15? Companies are still passing through costs. Earnings have come down in real terms by staying steady in nominal terms with 8% inflation. So 
$250 of earnings for 2023 is the equivalent of 230 without that 8% inflation. So the big estimates takedown that everyone's looking for with bated breath has already happened in real terms. It's not to say, you know, more won't happen in nominal terms, but that's already a big takedown. And I think the problem most analysts are having is they haven't dealt in this type of inflation environments. They would have to be like 80 years old right now uh, in the business, which is unlikely to have seen an environment where uh, in real terms, you had the numbers take down, but in nominal terms, uh, they stay elevated. And that's what we get paid on is nominal terms. So that, that's, you know, that's the name of the game. Um, okay, so we talked about uh, groups that will do well in a slower growth environment, biotech and value tech. Uh, and we like, obviously, China tech. We talked about Taiwan Semiconductor beating on the bottom line, top line, and raised guidance. Good look on auto chips up 14% year on year, which means shortage is abating, which equals the, a glut of new cars will be coming and collapse new and used car prices, which is a huge component of CPI, I think as much as the third. So as those prices come down due to the chips, chip glut coming, um, we're going to see a huge reduction in CPI in addition to the commodity impacts, et cetera. Even J.P. Morgan, who, who uh, Jamie Dimon, who called for an economic hurricane, said that the consumer and corporate balance sheets are in great shape on the earnings call. No cracks yet. And finally, the option skew measures the cost to ensure catastrophe. Deep out of the money puts and calls one and two standard deviations. VIX measures at the money. The skew is down at pandemic low levels. Why? Uh, nothing left to insure. The house is already burned down. It happens near inflection points historically. When everyone stopped insuring for major catastrophe, i.e. the smart money, uh, then you want to be a net buyer. Uh, when the dumb money is at the money, the VIX is still elevated because retail people are buying at the money protection at the exact wrong time. CGTN America, this is a great interview. We covered quite a lot in seven minutes. Uh, about housing. A lot of you have an interest in housing. Take a listen. Bank earnings and banks. Take a listen which banks we like uh, and Fed policy moving forward. So thanks to Dilel Pektas and Phil Yin. And then finally, uh, sentiment is thawing. Bullish percent moved up from 26 to 29 this week. Bearish percent dropped down from 46 to 42. Still fear but thawing. Um, CNN fear and greed still at fear but thawing at 39. You can see there. And finally, National Association of Active Investment Managers uh, this, this was at 26.74 last read. Uh, this means that active managers missed the rally, nine per, almost 9% now in the NASDAQ since last Thursday. They've missed it. They were all in cash. Now they, any unexpected further positive news will force them back into the market aggressively. They now have to chase up because they have career risk. Um, and uh, some key things that we didn't cover in the article from the Bank of America Global Fund Manager say, Survey uh, global growth optimism is lower than at the pandemic, lower than during the great financial crisis, just to give you context. Profit optimism, lower than the great financial crisis, lower than the tech wreck. Um, inflation expectations coming down, that historically meant lower interest rates, that's a good thing. Uh, people think the Fed will pivot when U.S. inflation PCE deflator drops below 4%. Um, investors no longer expect higher bond yields. That's a good thing. If that credit market unfreezes like the bespoke survey we saw, number one, Cooper Standard will get free financed. Uh, number two, uh, the market will, will work its way to new highs over the next year. 
uh, and we'll be back off to the races. So the, the, the cherry on the Sunday would be if we got the recession data at the end of the month showing that we had two quarters of negative GDP growth, then it's, it's rear view mirror. Economic data can get worse, but we've already had the recession. We don't have to worry about you know, the yield curve inverted. Are we going to get it next year? We've already had it this year, which would be fantastic. And it, God forbid they actually declare it, then it's over. Uh, from a stock market standpoint, from an economy standpoint, you know, you'll see unemployment probably jump another percent, but not the end of the world. Um, managers taking higher than normal risks is lower than at the lows of the great, low, near the lows of the great financial crisis. Uh, so it just goes on and on. I mean, there's never, like, if you had dropped me in from space at any random time in the future and I saw these gauges, I'd just say, you know, how much money do we have? And, you know, I'm not a leverage guy, but how aggressively can we leverage it? Because you only get these opportunities when, when there's a washout this big. You know, do the math. We just covered it once, two or three times every decade. So um, you can wait for more confirmation signals because nothing's absolute. But on a case by, uh, you know, we're, we've not been wholesale buyers of indices, but we have been aggressive buyers of things that work. And the two things that we've been aggressive buyers from have already bottomed China in March, biotech in May. And now we're waiting on Cooper Standard, which is a bespoke special, special situation, which is uh, basically a super levered play, one on semiconductors, but more than that on uh, credit spreads. That's basically all it comes down to. Uh, and uh, we, with God's you know, help, uh, spreads have come in 75 basis points in the last few weeks, coincident with uh, when we started the position. So that's, uh, that's you know, good news. Sometimes... Uh, Good to be lucky and to be good, uh, but I'll, I'll take luck any day of the week. Um, biggest tail risk, inflation stays high, global recession. Most crowded trade, long U.S. dollar. This trade will unwind before the end of the year. Uh, you can be sure of it. We started to see signs of it this morning when the, the uh, Lagarde raised rates. Uh, I think the big turn in this is going to be, as I said, with Ruth Carlson and Bloomberg, when the Bank of Japan stops defending the 25 basis point yield cap on the 10-year uh, JGB, and that goes to 50, the, the U.S. dollar will probably drop 15% in a matter of days. Uh, and it's just a matter of time because they're not going to be able to hold it together much longer, but um, we'll see. We'll take it as it comes. These things often take longer than I expect, but they eventually and always do work out. Um, okay, uh, Carter put together some earnings. You know, the reason we remain relatively unemotional through all this noise is because we continue to burden ourselves with the facts. And we go through uh, every sector. We do two sectors a week. So every 90 days, we've done the entire market plus uh, and, more, and some subsectors. And, you know, we see earnings are stable here. So uh, in terms of this week, uh, Carter did REITs. Uh, estimates in the last 60 days for the top 30 weights were revised cumulatively up 1.56% for this year, 1.18% for next year. Utilities also uh, flat for this year, uh, negative, uh, two two, negative two basis points uh, for 2023 plus three basis points. So, um, you know, and over that period, the market's down a lot. Uh, let's look at some economic data before we go to the Ask Me Anything questions for this week. All right, we saw building permits were better than expected. Housing starts were slightly worse. That's understandable. Rates have gone up so quickly, they'll back off. 
and supply will come on and we'll see a change in this. It's just gonna take a little time. As I discussed with Phil, crude inventories were a draw. That's good to see. Uh, existing home sales were a little bit weaker than expected. So look, you're seeing a, a, a decline in demand. That, that was expected. Continuing jobless claims ticked up. This is what the Fed wants. Uh, initial jobless claims were, were higher than expected, 251. So that's ticking up. This is all consistent with a mild recession, which we believe we had or are having. And that's a good thing uh, because the market has uh, done a decent job of discounting it already. So into earnings, this is of last week. We'll see what happens at the end of this week. Uh, earnings came in a little bit from 250 to 248. That's pretty common before earnings season. You see the same thing before last earnings season from 230 to 229 for this year. So you're getting a little bit of nominal takedown, but nothing like what, what analysts are calling for yet. Um, okay, let's get to the questions of the week. This is from Rich C. Thoughts on Borg Warner, similar industry and macro tailwinds to uh, Cooper Standard. They have made several major accretive acquisitions in the past couple of years to make that historical comparison somewhat challenging. But the pro forma would suggest a lot of upside when the new car, car market rebounds, strong moat, strong balance sheet, well-positioned EV, all metrics at historical lows, pays a 2% dividend while you wait. Probably not as much upside as CPS, although perhaps not as risky considering their balance sheet. 100% uh, agree with everything that you said. Uh, this is a higher quality business with um, less operating leverage and less upside, but um, more stability and, uh, and a lot less upside. So um, yeah, I've got nothing wrong. I think it's the same thesis. If you look at their you know, cash flow per share, you know, this is a compounder. This is a decent quality business. Earnings per share, they've been compounding over the last decade. Uh, even book value per share, they've more than doubled over the last decade. Uh, revenues per share, they've more than doubled. So this is a steady grower and the stock has done nothing uh, in, the, in that time period. So yeah, this is a bargain. I would, I would definitely be interested. You're not gonna get a, you know, a 10 or 20 bagger on it for, for damn sure, but um, uh, it's not inconceivable this could be a $100 stock in the next three to five years. So yeah, I, I think... Uh, I think this is good research. And the other thing that I like about this is uh, I see it in the results. I don't even need to look at return on equity and return on capital, but you can see the return on equity has been, you know, historically 20% a year. It's now getting back to that. This was a temporary impairment, not a permanent impairment. Same uh, double digit return on total capital. Uh, you know, nothing to really think about here is if you've done the balance sheet analysis with all these, it's just solvency analysis. And we've been very clear on, um, Cooper Standard, you know, we think there is a, a risk of a donut hole, but it's something that you manage by size. Uh, and, um, and if we're right, uh, which we think we will be, that the semiconductors come in over the next year and a half, and which we're already seeing, and uh, credit markets unfreeze, which we've seen a nice move in the last three weeks, um, they'll get refinanced and uh, this thing will be $20, $30 overnight. And then from there, it'll take three to five years to be $100 plus in our view when we get to a normalized $250, $300 million of EBITDA. So um, $9 a share in earnings, 10 to 20 times multiple, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, uh, Bob Johnson on YouTube asks, uh, can you present your thoughts on ARKG, which is uh, Kathy Wood's biotech uh, ETF or Innovate Genomic uh, ETF seems like the only ETF from Kathy that has potential in, in my, my time frame. Uh, all right, so uh, 
Um, all right, so what are the holdings of Kathy? By the way, I met Kathy in Tampa during COVID at a restaurant. She's a wonderful person, uh, and I hope she sees great success. Uh, by the way, you know, for, everyone, for everyone beating up Kathy Woods, I would say this. The ARC ETF and Berkshire Hathaway have had identical performance since the performance, since the inception of the ARK, her flagship fund. So just keep that in mind. As much as obviously it's been up and it's collapsed and like, you know, some of her viewpoints have been unpopular, she's still performing Perry Passu with Berkshire Hathaway's performance over that period. And Berkshire's had Apple, which has been, you know, the vast majority of its gains. So um, I wouldn't, I would never count her out. Um, I, you know, I'm looking at the assets in, in this ARC genomic thing. Um, you know, Vertex makes money, I think. Uh, CRISPR is okay. NC is okay. These are kind of, it looks like she's somewhat upgraded her holdings from like more speculative non-earning businesses to more of the staple biotech. So this one's probably okay. I'd be more comfortable with the XBI personally. We've been talking about that since, uh, uh, you know, for, for a few months now. Uh, that's the way I would play it. I think the tilt here is more companies that don't make money and don't have the cheap valuation metrics that we've discussed. So if this one works, maybe this will have more upside, but um, I, I still like the XBI over this, but I think this, is, I think this one will, will potentially be okay as well. I just haven't gone into as granular detail as I uh, have with uh, XBI and equivalents. So, um, Okay, Ramandeep. Hey, Tom, any thoughts on the Alibaba Cloud Shanghai data leak report? Uh, I covered that last week, but I'll cover it again. Let me just get the other question here. Pedro Martinez asked the same question. Dear Tom, in your last episode, you mentioned Baba's news that something was wrong in the code. Perhaps this article helps clarify a major difference if this is true. Researchers found that the database itself was secure, uh, which is important because... uh, the uh, executives from Alibaba were meeting with the Chinese government to explain what happened. And what Pedro is saying in this Wired report, you can go to wired.com, Chinese police exposed 1 billion people's data. And that's important. Here's the link. I don't think you can see it. But anyway, just go to Wired and type in the words Chinese police exposed 1 billion people's data and it will come up. Uh, he says, researchers found that the database itself was secure, i.e. AliCloud, uh, Alibaba's part of it, but that a management dashboard was publicly accessible from the open internet, allowing anyone with basic technical skills to grab the information without needing a password. So it sounds like the police screwed this up. They'll never admit that because the police is a government entity. Um, But uh, even if it was the worst thing, like Alibaba screwed up, um, I pulled up just to put things in context, again, separating the emotion from the reality, uh, here are the top 10, uh, top 10 data breaches in history. Yahoo breached $3 billion accounts from 2013 to 2016. It didn't matter. No one cared. At the end of the day, what happens is they pay a fine. They say it's fixed and everyone goes on with living. It's going to happen. Uh, then there was uh, Adhar breach, 1.1 billion Indian citizens. Uh, First American Financial, 885 million records in the U.S. They're still doing great business. Um, Verifications.io, 
800 million records breached. Equifax, everyone remembers, 605 million records of 147 million people breached in 2017, your credit reports. Facebook breached 540 million records in 2019. I don't even remember this headline. That's how much it impacted Facebook. Like, no one cared. They probably paid a fine and on to the next. Marriott data breach 2018. I don't remember this headline either, and I read a lot of news. 500 million records. Friend Finder, I don't even know what that is. 420 million breach. U.S. voter data breach 2017. Definitely don't remember that. 198 million records. So these things happen all the time, and it's on to the next. So maybe the Chinese government, they're a little tougher, but uh, worst case, it was Alibaba's fault. They'll pay a fine, promise it's fixed, on to the next. The stock will be down. You know, it's down on that, by the way. That's the newest fits and starts, that, you know, but now it's stabilizing. So if it was Alibaba's fault, it would be in the headlines the next day because the Chinese government would be throwing them under the bus. It's the government's fault, just like it was with that Boeing crash in China. You just never, it just goes away. You don't hear. There's no resolution like, we were wrong. It was actually the Chinese police messed this up or the Chinese government. You'll never hear that. It'll just, you won't hear Alibaba screwed up. Like, it'll just go away. Just like you didn't hear, oh, it wasn't Boeing. It was the the pilot was on a suicide mission. You know, you'd have to dig hard to find that article. I did, obviously, because I wanted to see the resolution. But it's never like, you know, uh, Boeing exonerated in crash. <laughs> that headline doesn't exist. It just goes away. Same thing's going to happen with this breach. Um, okay. Hi, Tom. Hope you're enjoying your well-earned weekend. Thanks for your hugely informative for- podcast, videocast. I particularly appreciated your e- excellent illustrations of stock surges, large pullbacks to be able to recognize these and not get shaken out. Great content and essential to be aware of. I wondered about your opinion of adding to Boeing, Amazon, Wynn Resorts, JP Morgan, all appear at reasonable valuations with catalysts. Wind seems particularly beaten down, negative 49%. Yearly change, four times down from 2018 highs. Amazon looks good also. Uh, would you see any as preferable? Uh, I g- listened to the CGTN interview. There are three banks that I would rather have over JP Morgan, and I explained the reasons why to fill. Win I love. Amazon and Boeing, I all love at these levels. Uh, I have good allocations to China Tech, Biotech, CPS, etc., Best regards, Drew. So, yeah, I think you're spot on and can tell you've been listening for a while, and I know you've been listening for a while, and uh, I like your setups there. Jacob Reynolds, huge fan of your work, have been a long believer in your BABA hypothesis. However, I am curious if the recent joint announcement by the FBI and MI5 have impacted your opinion on regulatory situation. Good question, but again, this is just more noise. MI5 FBI chiefs warn over China in rare joint address. The heads of MI5, this is from three weeks ago, by the way. Uh, Federal FBI warned Wednesday about China's commercial espionage thrust in the West in a rare joint address at the British Intelligence Service London in in London headquarters, speaking to an audience. Uh, Today, we're running several times as many investigations as 1980. Hostile activity is happening on UK soil, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Alibaba doesn't do that much business in the West. Their international business is Southeast Asia and parts of Eastern Europe like Turkey, et cetera. It's a non-issue. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, Great insight, Patrick. Great insight on how to progressively exit positions. Every week I learn from your channel and and the insights you provide. Thank you. Unless I misunderstood what you said, you have discussed how you think the market may be at or near bottom. The Buffett indicator, however, indicates that the market may be about 35% higher than the fair or historic average. 
do you take this stock market valuation to GDP model into account, particularly in light of the likelihood that GDP could fall given the possibility of a recession? So uh, this indicator doesn't work. That's why Buffett hasn't talked about it in 22 years. Um, there's a good article you can Google. Buffett's favorite indicator is wrong. Here's why from Andrew Hesla. Um, there are a number of factors. One is uh, there are less public companies today than there were 22 years ago. Uh, part of that's because Sarbanes-Oxley was a complete disaster, knee-jerk reaction to the tech wreck, which caused companies to not go public or to go public much later. And that's why you see more opaque stuff in the secondary market than you do in the primary market, which has hurt capital formation and probably set the country back. Unintended consequence of not well thought out regulation. Um, and then two, she lays out this case. Uh, let's use a Apple as an example. The numerator for corporate equities to GDP metric is essentially market capitalization, which is a statistic we can find for any stock. For example, Apple's market cap is, about, she wrote this a year, a couple of years ago. A Apple's market cap is about a trillion. The company notably became the first, okay. GDP, the denominator in this ratio is the total output of the economy. We could think of that as sales for a company since sales are a measure of the company's output over the last 12 months. Apple sales are about 259 billion. Taking those two figures and applying it to our metric gives Apple a ratio, Apple a ratio of 388%, pretty overvalued. But here's the kicker. Buffett has been buying Apple for the last few years, which would indicate that he doesn't believe the stock is overvalued near current prices. In fact, last year, the Oracle of Omaha told CNBC he likes Apple stock so much he'd own 100% of it. So we can probably stop thinking of this as a useful indicator for stocks, and it's probably not overly useful for valuing the stock market either. And there, there's a big reason for that. This type of analysis ignores potential growth, profitability, et cetera. Apple's worth a trillion dollars because of its profitability, not because of it delivers services on the, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, these type of stocks are always misleading. And you, you know when someone's trying to deliver a message that's inaccurate, when they do it in uh, arithmetic scale versus logarithmic scale is what all the bears do. And most of them are CMTs that should know better, but they're trying to communicate a point that's false. Uh, and it misleads a lot, of, a lot of people that don't know any better. So, um, so I agree with this. Um, we, look, we'd always like things to be cheaper, which is why we're not wholesale buyers of the indices. We're buyers of individual stocks and sectors and special situations that are out of favor that we feel we have an, uh, an edge from our research and our time arbitrage and our stomach. Uh, and that's probably the most important edge that we've had over the years uh, is our emotional fortitude once we've done the work. So with that said, I'd like to thank everyone for listening in this week. Um, uh, we actually got it in in under an hour. I uh, uh, hope you found the metaphors helpful. We'll, we'll be back next week, same time, same place. I'm off to a three-day swim meet for my eight and 10-year-old who are crushing it, and we're very proud of them. So uh, wish us luck over the weekend. It's a big regional zones age group thing. Uh, all the swimmer parents will know what that means, uh, and we'll see you soon. So until next time, make it a great one. Bye for now.